0: It's giving me whenever I put my cursor over everything. It's giving me the like reminder text on because I just had to re-download GarageBand before we started recording. So it's a little annoying. That was a little annoying, but overall, not too bad. And I did it. I, I had to reinstall GarageBand or update it because um, Eric and I uh, and our, our uh, Riley, our other co-host, and Trevor, who's been on the show before we've been trying uh the spell table to play magic remotely and it works pretty well but we were having trouble with uh just having phones wirelessly connected so if you're going to use it i would suggest a webcam or um there's a program called camo and that's why i had to update so i could run it on my very very old macbook and uh it's it's we're gonna try it again and and it is working it does work pretty well but um uh, you know, as as things continue with the lockdown, we have to uh, do what we do what we got to do to play paper magic.
1: Got to mm-hmm. get your fix.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I guess we can start this very special. No, this isn't going to come out on Christmas Eve. <laughs> um, episode... <laughs> it is <laughs> Christmas Eve today. It is, Chris... <laughs> it is Christmas Eve, and uh, welcome to the show, everybody. This is Turn One Soul Ring. I'm Kevin. Hey, I'm Eric. And we have our editor Ainsley joining us again. Hello. Uh, as guest host, of
1: course. Yes, you better uh, clarify.
0: <laughs> which, which means that uh, we're concluding our two-part series explaining the events depicted in the novel Bloodlines. Uh, like we mentioned last episode, Bloodlines is the fourth and final novel in the Artifact Cycle. And in part one of this series, we explained what the Bloodline Project was and how it would eventually create a human that would be capable of wielding Urza's legacy weapon to defeat Yawgmoth and eliminate the Phyrexian threat against Dominaria. We also mentioned a few new characters, and we left off with the Phyrexian inner circle member Krog, bringing the Coruscant elder Daval to the artificial plane of Wrath so that Daval could learn Mm. how to both control and manufacture Flowstone and just as importantly, find a way to kill Urza. I think that second part... Is a little bit more important. They just they want to get rid of Urza. You know he's a threat.
2: Yeah. But they were like, here, go do this, and if we like you, then I guess you can be the old Grandmaster. <laughs> That's
0: right, and they and they also promised him uh, completion as well, right. which yes. they had they haven't haven't quite delivered on yet.
1: Right, because he was ill.
0: Terminally ill. Yeah. Yeah. And he was shunned by his people. Because he was ill. Because he was ill, That's and funny. so when when the Phyrexians showed up. He sold out his people, you know, because they offered him a cure to his illness. And, you know, because they had treated him so badly, he... Yeah, his people
1: know, sold him out, so he sold them out.
2: That's yep.
0: right. That's right. And that's why we should... Uh, that's eye why for an eye. Sh- That's why we should have been treating these people in PCHs quite a bit better before this second wave. Okay? We could have avoided a lot of Davil-type situations.
1: Yeah, they're all turning on us now.
0: They might. The <laughs> ones that survive. <laughs> It's a terrible situation. It is, yeah. So, while all that was going on, uh, we got to get back to our Tolarian crew. And Yay! That's right, everybody's favorite part, right? I kind of like the bad guys more. Of course, you do. <laughs> so, uh, but Karn is Carn uh, is my favorite. Yeah, Carn is my favorite, and I he's he's good. Um, so we haven't mentioned Karn that much so far. We just mentioned him a little bit at the at the top of last episode, I think, um, talking about Joyra and Teferi and how they're no longer in his life. Um, and he's a little sad. He's sad. He's a sad a little guy. Little sad. So in the absence of his f- former friends, his current friends that are just far away, uh, Karn became good friends with Gatha during his time at the academy, and we 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 went over Gatha and his early exploits with the. Bloodline Project last episode. But uh, Karn wasn't too happy about the questionable experiments the mage was performing. So Karn decided that he, much like Baron and Rain last episode, needed a vacation.
1: Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Um, When I was in grade six, we did a musical and it was called I Need a Vacation.
0: Hmm. Who did you play?
1: um, I played the mother of a, a kid who went to summer camp who was very unhappy at summer camp. And but I you, had to read the letter they wrote home about how unhappy they were.
0: But you were getting a vacation from him.
1: Yeah, yeah. right. I was pleased yeah. as the parent. Oh, yeah. of course. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so Karn found that vacation crewing the weatherlight on a trip to Yavamea. Uh, and if you want to know more about Yavamea, go back and listen to uh, our Time Stream series, which is the one we did right, right before this. Um, yeah. I think those are they're in the 80s somewhere. Anyways... Rain and Multani were on their way to Yavamea on an ambassadorial mission. They were ferrying the Llanowar ambassador, Rafellos to the forest. He a band hey. commander. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Llanowar were a tribe of elves from the forest of the same name. Uh, Rafellos was sent to Yavamea by his tribe to foster relations between the two forests and to shore up their defenses for the coming invasion.
1: Is this guy here Rafellos or is he one of the elves? He is like, and, and that,
0: that and he is an elf.
1: Oh he's it one of the both. Same. Okay, yeah. that's why he has pointy ears. Yes. And uh, <laughs> long luxurious hair. And he looks quite gay in this picture. Like like happy gay. Yeah, like yeah,
2: yeah. He's he's he's, he's a dandy. Well like look <laughs> at that colorful forest you're in. Like how could you yeah. not be happy?
1: Truly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, he's yeah. not
0: like a Zuri who always looks mad. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <clears throat> so when they arrived uh, in the forest in Yavamea, Rafelis and Multani swapped places. Uh, Rafellus becoming the voice of the forest or the the this is something we also talked about in our time stream series how Multani was the avatar of the forest and the forest yeah. you know he was, he was like the will of the forest even though he was a, you know a sentient creature all on his own he was sort of um I don't know how to put it it's sort of like a hive mind the entire forest but Multani is Multani could
2: feel any part of the forest and, like, yeah, anything that happened could hear it. It was like Multani was part of the forest.
1: Isn't that like in, um, is it Princess Mononoke or one of those?
0: Princess Mononoke is about a forest, yeah.
1: Wasn't she, like, couldn't she feel what was happening in the forest or am I, am I out to lunch?
0: No, I don't think she could, but the forest spirit could.
1: The forest spirit. Yeah. It's like he's like a forest spirit. <laughs> yes,
0: he's like the he's like the prime forest spirit. But um, anyways, they, they made this swap for two reasons. First, Lanawar was a far more aggressive and militant place, and the Lanawar elves were a warrior culture. Wanting to give Yavamea the best chance in defending itself from the invasion, Raffaello's plan to transform the forest into a place similar to Lanawar. Hmm. The second reason for this exchange was that Multani wanted to have a chance to explore the multiverse while crewing the Weatherlight, so he's getting a vacation too. Nice. He wanted to learn as much as he could and bring that information back to Yavmeya in hopes of defending his home.
2: Getting the most of all the information from wherever you can be. That's right. That's
1: right. There you go. Wherever you go. There There you. There you be.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I used to work with
0: a guy that said that properly, and uh, he was just—he's kind of a dink. (laughs) But you know, I just like you know saying that, and you know, actually meaning like. You know, it's like when somebody sees you sweeping a floor and they say, hey, when you're done here, come to my place. But they're serious and they think it's funny. You know, it's like, I don't know. Mm. No, I don't know. <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> Karn had a pretty good time on his trip away from Talaria. But it was also around this time in the story that Karn's memory and memories became a problem. Oh, no. Yeah. It's like the he's game memory. Have, oh
1: <laughs> but he's too good at it. <laughs> Is he too good at it or bad at it?
0: No, he's really good at it. Oh. He's so good yeah. that he's he's paralyzed by it. Wow. So it wasn't long after their return to Tularia that the decision was made to help Karn, or at least Karn's return to Tularia and Rain. Moltani was, you know, going out and, you know, taking the weather light on an on a, uh, ex- exploratory joyride. mission. Yeah. Um, that the decision was made to help Karn move on from his past attachments to people like Joyra and Teferi. And for a long time, these attachments only affected Karn's mood, and apparently everyone could live with a sad robot in their midst. But Karn's memory was beginning to get in the way of the Golem performing everyday tasks.
1: Oh man, Karn, I relate to this on such like a, a level. Like If I'm having like a sad time or a mad time... I find it very hard to focus on like getting work done. I know some people like it it's like getting work done helps distract them from the stuff that's consuming them. Well, get
0: what you need to get yeah. done done. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I'll deal with my personal problems when I have time.
1: Yes, well you're intrinsically motivated. So, you know, that makes sense for you. But anyways, I digress. I just, I relate Karn. I understand.
0: (laughs) So because Karn could remember everything in complete detail, it made it difficult for him to make simple decisions without going through all the memories he had stored over the centuries that were related to the decision in question. What I, you know, whatever decision he's making right now, like, do I go left? Do I go right? Um, I don't know. Do I choose this oil to oil up my joints or do I choose that oil? So he became paralyzed by his memories. And it's sort of like if Human beings made decisions without emotion, which is how we make every decision. You know, we ha- there's there's this idea of of free will, and uh, I think that does exist to a certain degree. And the and idea that logic. and there, that yeah. we that we make th- and we make rational, rational decisions, yeah. But at the end of the day, our decisions are based on our past experiences, our memories, and how the emotions related to those memories influence our current decision. But if you had to make decisions like Karn with a lot less emotion and a lot more logic, and the way, I guess a kind of a good way I've heard it described is if you, let's say you were going to the grocery store and you went to the cereal aisle, and there are dozens of options in that aisle, and you know, let's say you maybe maybe dated someone once and they were a pain in the ass Mm. and they really like Count Chocula. So you have a negative connotation when you look at that Count Chocula box and you're probably Mm -hmm. not going to get it, especially if it's not a cereal that you would normally buy. But you make all those kinds of decisions in a split second based on you know your brain accessing those memories and the emotion related to them and it all happens incredibly fast and it's subconscious like you're
1: you're not actively going I don't like this cereal because of this person
0: and sometimes that that does come up you do think about that but overall those kinds of more mundane decisions not so much Mm -hmm. so with Karn he does have emotion and he does make decisions in a similar way but instead of it happening very very quickly and subconsciously he's a, he's almost reliving every memory associated with the decision that he's in the process of making and it's just he just can't you know he can
2: make a decision but it takes forever mm. he's being overloaded with all the information every single time he has to make a decision yeah. yeah, he needs more RAM. Like the processor, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. He needs a better
1: processor, yeah.
2: Stick some RAM sticks in that guy. <laughs>
0: so so Urza, Baron, Rain, and Gatha plan to fix the golem's memory problem by opening up his head and manipulating the Phyrexian heartstone that was Karn's brain and effectively made him who he was.
1: Mm, and then there's a nifty little picture of it.
0: That is, that's the art from the card heartstone. Oh, so yeah. I don't know if that's Karn's particular heartstone, but that is a Phyrexian a heartstone. heartstone.
1: Cool, well, I like its little harness.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you gotta the, uh, to, it flies away. I think if you don't harness it. No, I'm kidding. The, I don't know.
2: <laughs> the chains or the like whip thing. I guess the chains. Oh, it's got a little leather straplet.
1: Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like a thing. Like it looks sort of like a harness. Like if uh, yeah. if a person was wearing a little harness. <clears throat>
0: So, Urza had designed the cage like structure using Thran metal that would perfectly enclose the Hearthstone. The cage was designed to slowly grow around the Hearthstone and effectively cap Karn's memories at 20 years. Oh. Because it's Thran metal, it can grow. So, finally, yeah. that growing's coming in handy, huh? Meaning that at any given time, the Golem would only be able to remember events that occurred 20 or fewer years previous. Uh, and in addition to the cage, Urza wasn't sure what effect it would have on Karn's overall personality, but he knew that the golem couldn't continue to function with fully vivid memories of everything he'd explained for reasons we just mentioned. Uh, so it would take a full year's growth of the metal to squeeze the heartstone enough to suppress Karn's older memories. And unfortunately, when that happened, two centuries of accumulated memories would disappear.
1: Wow, that's amazing. Um, that's a lot. So- that is a lot. Mm-hmm. So this special metal, we've talked about it before. We talked about it during time streams yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. So do you think it's just like someone's job to like maintain this metal that keeps growing and it's like, oh, gotta diarize that in a month, I gotta check back on this metal and shrink it all again.
0: Probably. Yeah, melt some down you
1: know, for what they're <laughs> using from. Yeah, what definitely. a like, it's high maintenance.
0: But I know for the weatherlight, because it's part uh, it's you know, part of it's made of thran metal and part of it is made of the the like Part of it is made from the wood from the weather seed tree that they, that they got from Yavamea. They um, grow against each other. So, th- for example, the weather light doesn't need that kind of maintenance because the weather seed and the Thran metal keep themselves at bay. Otherwise, they would keep growing. Interesting. Yeah.
1: Wouldn't it be so cool if, like, the way, like, you could, like, build a house using Thran metal, and it's, like, when you first buy it, it's, like, a certain (laughs) size, and then over your lifetime, your house just slowly gets bigger. Yeah, we
0: need an addition. We're going to have, you know, we're going to get another cat. I need an addition.
1: That'd be cool. Like, the way sort of, like, the value of homes goes up, the value goes up, but also the size goes up. Mm.
0: (laughs) Gonna, it's a lot of furniture. You're gonna have to keep up with the furniture. Make it out of thread metal. Can't you
1: <laughs> your chairs just get huge? <laughs> My feet don't um, touch the floor anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, um, you know, there are other people in in Karn's life that uh, have also been alive this whole time. So they'll they'll have those memories. But it but it is it is sad that Karn is Losing all these memories, and uh, you know, as as readers of these stories, we do have the novels. So if if we forget what happens, we can always go back and read them. Um, and being human, we can't remember everything in exquisite detail, so we might have to. But you know, what? you don't have to go back and read them. Just listen to this content. Um, <laughs> so for Karn, he struggled with the inability to remember everything in exquisite detail, as one would having their perception changed in such an extreme way. Um, and this is expressed in the following excerpt, and this is, these are Karn's thoughts.
1: There were events from as little as four days prior, which he could no longer recall with exacting detail, fading for their lack of emotional significance as they would in a human mind. How did they stand it? Karn could not remember ever feeling frightened, and these days his lack of a memory no longer meant that it was true, but he felt frightened now. Standing there, his memories arranged around him like trophies of the past.
0: Uh, yeah, and he had um, little keepsakes from his his various adventures and things like that. And he had a picture of Joyra, and you know, every night before he went to bed, he would you know recite this mantra that like you know this is Joyra, Joyra is my best friend, so that he wouldn't forget. forget. Oh
1: God, I love Karn. Yeah. Oh. Such a sad story. And,
0: yeah and, and this really begs the question like how much of of who we are as a result of our memories and, and experiences and 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 how much isn't and um you know this this does seem like a a cold and sort of heartless thing to do to Karn and you know we know that Urza is sort of known for doing that so far but I think this is actually an act of kindness on Urza's part I think this is You know, when when he was designing Karn, when he built him and he he threw that Hearthstone in there, he didn't really know what was going to happen. And he didn't know that that Karn, that this would eventually become a problem. You know, I don't know if he was thinking 200 years into the future. Um, But, you know, doing this for Karn allowed him to keep going. Because, you know, who knows what would have happened if they just left him. He might have just sat there being paralyzed by,
1: Mm -hmm. you know,
0: every mundane decision that he had to make. So, you know, I, th- I think f- for Urza, this is kind of a way to fix a mistake that, you know, he didn't know he had made at the time.
1: Hmm.
2: That's, that is That uh, is fair. It, it's just like, it kind of sucks because it's like, hey, you know, there's important things that you just forget anyways. Mm-hmm. But it's like Urza can obviously remember things from when he was younger.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's, that's sort of like the human brain, right? Like we don't yeah. remember everything in detail mm-hmm. even even urza who's been alive for thousands of years doesn't remember everything in detail um but i guess this but still is remembers just... things of course of course um and you know because of that this kind of makes karn more human and i think this was uh just kind of a a, a weak substitute for a human brain this was sort of the best that they could do is capping the memories because you know, after you can't just like, tra- you know, replicate a human brain. That's not <laughs> not not yet anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, you know, regardless of of how you feel about what was done to Karn, it, it needed to be done so that he could continue to be a integral part of defending Dominaria from the invasion. We're gonna get back to uh, to Gatha now. Um, about seventy five years after Davil took up stewardship of Wrath, Gatha finally departed Talaria, never to return. Like we mentioned in the last episode, that's a spoiler, I guess, but I just spoiled it. Gatha was allowed to continue (laughs) working on the Bloodline project after it was discovered that he'd been splicing Phyrexian DNA into his Metathran subjects. Mm. And even though he was under increased supervision after that was found out, he continued to experiment with Phyrexian DNA. This continued violation of the project's guidelines was what finally stripped Gatha of his ability to participate in the project. And he knew decades earlier that his leaving Kalaria was only a matter of time when he realized that the means he used in reaching his goals were unacceptable to Baron and possibly Urza. It's, it's kind of unclear uh, how much Urza condemns Gatha's actions while, while he was at the academy. Huh. Um, but that, that being said, the goals of, of the three of them, Gatha, Urza, and Baron, were quite similar, which was the, the, the defense of Dominaria from the invasion and the eventual defeat of Yagmoth. So, now that Gatha couldn't work on the bloodline project on Talaria, he gathered what he would need to continue his own bloodline project somewhere else on Dominaria, bloodline project 2, this time it's personal, (laughs) (laughs) a place that would appreciate his efforts. Among the research and materials he would need to continue the project on his own, Gatha also took enough slow time water to live many more centuries. Because you could just take that stuff. In just a filling jug. up a jug. It's yeah. good. You don't. Yeah, you don't need to drink it straight from the source.
2: But do you need to keep like I thought we talked about this before? Like, do you need to keep drinking that stuff to keep going? Like, because Joyra doesn't need to anymore, right? And she's just forever.
0: She's forever young, like the yeah. song.
2: Yeah.
1: Like the multiple songs of that title. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good title. It is, yeah.
0: Uh, I, you know, because she she doesn't. Maybe if you drink it for a few decades. You're good. You're good. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if Gatha knows that. I don't know. And I, in yeah. terms of of the, the like what's known about the slow time water, they like in the let's say the Telerian archives that might be known, but it might be like restricted. I'd like, to him. yeah, like how like how you know in at the Jedi Temple you can you know they know about Sith holocrons and they have Sith holocrons, but they're restricted. Only like Jedi Masters can actually. Play around with them, Ooh. so to speak.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> for you, Star Wars fans. So, Gatha escaped the island under the cover of night with phony paperwork that granted him passage on the weatherlight.
1: Ooh.
0: Which is a great way to escape. Oh, yeah. Under the cover of night. When he reached the skyship's first stop, he began a journey that wouldn't end for another 12 years when he reached the nation of Keld. Ooh. Yeah, so now I'm going to tell you guys all about Keld. Hmm. Keld was a warrior nation located on a northwesterly continent of Dominaria. It was populated by humans, like almost every other part of the plane, But unlike the rest of the humans that populated the plain, the Keldons represented the Norfolk or Vikings of Dominaria. Cool. Which is sort of, you know, this is sort of um, topical because the next standard set that's coming out is Kaldheim, and it's yeah. a... It's a Norse themed, yeah. Viking set. Um,
1: I love Norse stuff. So just go back
0: to, uh, to go back to Keld guys. Let's do let's do like another dominaria set, but mm. whatever. Maybe they will. I don't know. They're bringing back. Uh, they might be. Eric, did you see those leaks for the like the new Vorinclex and the counters and stuff? Like they might be. Um, they're unconfirmed leaks, but it sort of seems like it's hinting at bringing back infect and like the, like Phyrexians like fighting the. The, the Viking people of call time.
2: I did see the Thoriquex.
0: Yeah, so I guess we'll see what happens. That, like I said, they're unconfirmed, but <laughs> like we like we suspected, they're def- they're probably gonna um bring back like snow and snow land. So yeah, you know don't we're if cool. you're if you yeah oh absolutely I love I love snow. If you're about to buy some some snow lands some snow basics, just just wait. Hold your horses. We're gonna get we're gonna get a bunch more pretty soon next uh, <laughs> guess, not next month but uh, <clears throat> early Got
2: February. It. End of January. Oh yeah, might be next month. Might be if we're good. Because I, I think Theros was January.
0: Well, the the release date for Call Time is February fifth, but the pre release oh. is in uh, is in is in January.
2: Right, the, it's the week before, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So anyway. most ad, most adults uh, most adult kalduns were at least six feet tall, and it wasn't uncommon for them to be seven feet tall. And in addition to their towering stature, Keldons were very muscly, <laughs> and they were remarkably resistant to cold weather.
1: My kind of people. That's a
0: great combo right there. <laughs> Keld, Keld was located in the mountainous region of the continent it inhabited, and as a result of its location, it was very cold, probably why the Keldons had such resistance to it. Another result of the climate that the Keldons lived in was the tint of their skin. It ranged from ashy white to blue-gray. And there must not have been a lot of sun.
2: Yeah.
0: Even though the Keldons were human, they were clearly like no other human on Dominaria. And even before Gatha arrived in Keld, the Keldons were a feared group. They were often hired as mercenaries to fight wars for other nations, and that was mostly how the country was funded.
1: Mm. So they're was... fighters, not lovers.
0: Oh, they're lovers too, but oh, you know, they're lo- well, they're lovers for free, but they're fighters for for a fee. There you go. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I don't want to call it, like, the subtitle of an episode when we're recording, but that's a good (laughs) one. (laughs) So the Keldon government was also based around war, and instead of a leader being elected, the strongest among them became their ruler. In Keld, only the strong survived, and the strongest among them ruled. Which is actually a very green perspective in terms of the color pie, and it's interesting because the vast majority of cards that depict Keldons are red, we do, of course, have Rada, and she's always been gruel colors, but I just thought that was kind of interesting because that's not a that's not a red. Uh, it's it's a little bit red, but it's more it's overall more green. Like if you look at the, you know, the philosophy pages on on the mm. color pie.
1: Sure. Mm.
0: Anyway, the ruler of Keld was called the Grand Warlord, and under him or her, they had regular warlords that controlled the war hosts. War hosts were similar to a village or a group of people living in the same area. Okay. It's like, this is, these are, these are my war hosts. So mm-hmm. the warlord would say like this, you know,
1: mm-hmm. you can meet them. Welcome.
0: Welcome.
2: That's a big sword.
1: He is a big old guy. I like his uh, antlers.
0: <laughs> I like his black horse.
1: Also cool. Yeah. And has like a horn, like a rhino or like a unicorn. Like it's like a pointy.
0: black oh, yeah. Horn. I would definitely ride a black horse, like much like a black car. Like they don't, they don't show dirt as much. <laughs> it's hot in the summer but
1: but they're in a winter land so it doesn't matter
0: exactly actually
1: it might yeah. be beneficial to have a black horse
0: mm, i love like i wear a lot of black as, as you both know and in the summer it's rough but in the winter especially on a day like today where it's terribly cold but very very sunny it's like minus like last night with the wind chill it was like minus 40 yeah and yeah. that's celsius everybody <laughs> 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 and um you know you walk out on a day like today and it's sunny and it's super cold, but the sun is just like warming you up on on your black and your black outfit. So it's it's very uh, very enjoyable. Outfit. My little black outfit. Yeah. You know
1: what's fun is actually minus forty Celsius is also minus forty Fahrenheit.
0: Whew. We could do a whole episode on how that works. <laughs> 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 Let's not. <laughs> so the Keldons do sound pretty barbaric, but I-, I thought there was a strange kind of fairness to their society, being that strength is prized above all else. And it, again, f- you know, fairness, not equality, because those aren't the same things. Um, but the, you know, fairness because anyone can ascend to the position of grand warlord if they're strong enough. You don't need to have money or have an immaculate past, or you know, like I said earlier, like the, the him or her. It doesn't, you know, they, they don't uh, discriminate. Um, you just have to be strong, and I think that's kind that kind of refreshing. Nice. Yeah, I like so that. so it's you know, it's not equality. It's not like our society, but uh, or. Not that our society is purely equal, you know. We have our own problems, but um, it is it is fair. It's sort of like natural selection. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, until you know, Gatha arrived um, because he didn't think it was terribly refreshing, um, because <laughs> you know um, he was he was an outsider, which was the first obstacle that he had to overcome when he was taken in by them the Warlords of Keld. Uh, the second was that he was clearly a weak man physically, which was something Keldons looked down on. Uh, so when he arrived, Gatha was taken to the Necropolis, the place where the Warlords of Keld periodically met and the capital of their country. Sort of like, um, I don't know, it's probably like the House of Commons
2: hmm.
0: for, uh, for our Canadian listeners. Um, <laughs> <laughs> even though Even though Gatha was an outsider and was nowhere near as physically imposing as the Warlords he spoke to, He offered them a way to improve their ability to wage war, and that was something that the Keldons were, of course, very interested in. So they took him in and allowed Gatha to continue his research, and if the mage failed or tried to cross the warlords in any way, they could easily kill him and continue to breed warriors on their own terms.
2: Hmm. Oh yeah. Win-win for them.
0: Yeah. And in the 12 years that Gatha had been traveling, he did try to set up a new lab in several countries, uh, including his home country, Argiv, which we did mention in the last episode, and all of them eventually exiled him because they didn't have the stomach, as Gatha put it, for the experiments that he was performing, Um, probably because the results were more often than not unfortunate. Oh, boy. Yeah. So based on what we knew, based on what he knew about Kelden culture, he thought that attempting to engineer the strongest soldier on Dominaria would be right up their alley. And It was. But instead of growing Medithran, Gatha was given free reign to experiment on lower class Keldons in order to gather information that he could then use to engineer the most powerful Keldons that would ever exist. And um, so I did say that their that their society was fair, but those that were deemed too weak to fight in battle were essentially slaves. And also when they did invade other countries, they would take people from those countries as slaves. So, you know, the whole slave thing, that's bad. Bad news. Bad news. And also news. Exper- also experimenting on, on people.
1: your lowest class of citizens. is
0: bad, bad, having, bad news. Having classes of, having citizens class of citizens is bad. Bad news. Bad news. So, just, uh, that's so the one caveat. So the Keldon
1: are not uh, a culture to look up to. They're, no. They're not quite as... Uh, no. They're cool, but... Uh, yeah,
0: but I mean, you know, going back to what we were talking about last episode with the Metathran and creating an entire race of essentially slaves to fight a war, that's not good either. No. So, anyways, once Gather began his work and learned more about Keldon society, he found out that the Keldons had been performing their own kind of crude eugenics program. They would breed together the biggest and strongest clans, the most muscly, mm. to make even bigger and stronger warriors. And over the next 40 years, Gatha took what the Keldons had already learned, and what he knew from his own research, and worked at creating the mightiest warrior in Keldon history. Probably Dominarian history. Not really. (laughs) After devising a relatively stable method for augmenting Keldon children that would turn them into hulking monsters of men, Gatha's abilities became sought after by the highest-ranking warlords in Keld the warriors that Gatha created came to be known as Witch Kings. Which is a super cool name. That is such a cool name. What a cool name. I wonder if I've heard that before. (laughs) (laughs) Kings because they were kings among other Keldon warlords and Witch because they were able to, through magical ability, draw strength and battle prowess from the war hosts that fought with them, making them the most formidable warriors on all of Dominaria. So again, for you Star Wars fans, it's kind of like... Battle meditation, but instead of the Jedi that's providing the like strength and battle prowess through the battle meditation, the Witch King is like taking it from their war hosts all fighting together. Cool. So, one of Gatha's greatest successes, a Witch King known as Trog, Trog, wanted Gatha to give his son the same augmentations. Gatha had yet to devise a reliable method of augmentation, and it was more common for subjects to die from the procedures at or at least be left in a state where they could not fight in battle so they'd probably get experimented on more yikes so not wanting to incur the wrath of a powerful Keldon by saying no to his request gatha chose to roll the dice and begin augmentation on trog's son when he asked Good for boy. the boy to be brought to his lab trog informed gatha that his son was not yet conceived oh the witch king wanted gatha to engineer his son for him A witch king that would rival all others, Trog promised that if Gatha was successful, he would see the mage was seated on the warlord council. And although Gatha knew that someone like him, someone with no warrior background, would ever be allowed to be seated on the council, he was still intrigued by the prospect. Even though he had very little experience in preconception, but like any good eugenicist, he began the work with reckless abandon for Celtic life. (laughs) So while all that was going on in Kel, Davil had been mastering the production and his own control of Flowstone. He was also improving on the design of the negators that he had been breeding and periodically sending out to hunt down Urza. But after several decades of work, he was no closer to killing the planeswalker. Every mission he sent negators on always ended with dead Phyrexian bodies for him to study and improve upon for the next generation that he would send after Urza. And, uh, you know, this is a very common forexian um, strategy, right? Like we see what doesn't work, we're gonna throw these guys in the vats, melt them down, and and just make something better, make something that doesn't have these weaknesses. So you know, Urza knows that he should just be vaporizing these guys. Yeah. Don't, don't give him anything to work with. Yeah. <laughs> so by the time, um, by this time, about hundred and fifty years had passed since Dabble had been brought to wrath. He had still. Not been completed, but had been granted near eternal life. If he continued to be useful, of course. He could be killed, but, you know, um, barring that, he, he would live forever.
2: They, they like him so far. Yeah, he's he's doing good work.
1: And that's him there?
0: That's him there, and if you look closely...
1: Is that stone he's holding?
0: Oh, uh, it's a piece of paper. Oh. But if you look closely, he does have the Phyrexian insignia, the circle with the line through it, on his little skull cap now.
1: Oh, yeah. yes, he sure does. Oh. I like his little... Um, fingerless gloves, mm-hmm. really? and his uh, <laughs> long, gangly fingers with black-pointed nails. It's uh, its kind of doing it for me. He's like, eh. <laughs> 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 That's totally the sound he's making, Eric.
0: <laughs> Krog was also still a permanent fixture in the stronghold of Wrath. He oversaw everything Daval did, just as Daval oversaw everything that occurred on Wrath. Krog was the one thing standing between Daval and completion, as well as full mastery over Wrath. Krog would decide who became Evan of Wrath, and so at this point, Daval began to lay the groundwork for a plan that would see Krog eliminated. Daval thought that if he could prove himself to Yawgmoth, he would become the first Evan of Wrath. Mm. So now we've reached the next part of the story, and it takes place over a couple more centuries, uh, and part two is called The Spark of Life, and it takes place between 3655 to 3863 Ar after Rhesus after yeah, after <laughs> r- pieces <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there there is some uh, you know if if you were paying attention last episode when we went over the the um how is it natural selection the human component and uh, the the you know the the year when that ends and the year when this starts there is some hang time and. You know, I'm just here to tell you, I don't know. So remember at the top of this series when we said that the heir to the legacy would have to be bred in real time and in connection with white mana aligned lands? Uh, It's at this point in the story that we start to follow the exploits of the clan Capuchin. You guys should do like an excited noise. Oh! (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Clan Capuchin was one of seven ruling families of the country of Benalia on Dominarium. The Capuchin lineage was chosen by Urza as part of the bloodline project because of their strong connection to white mana. By this point in the story, Urza had been following the bloodlines of Karn Capuchin for several centuries, but the first time he actually intervened was when Nathan Capuchin was the leader of the family. And on a trip to Benalia, Urza offered Karn as a servant to, to Clan Cabochon for 50 years if Nathan would agree to a marriage between his cousin and another member of one of the other six Benelish ruling families, a marriage that Urza thought would keep his plans for an heir in the right direction. Mm. You know, when I was going, to, when I was doing this part of the outline, I was also rewatching The Crown for like the dozenth time. <laughs> Love it. Love that show. <laughs> but, you know, they, their thing is an heir and a spare. Right. Right. Have two. Yeah. But uh, you know, I I think Urza could have used this a little bit. Like you just you're putting all your eggs in one basket, dude. Mm. Come on, have have some other have another have a second heir to the legacy. It's like yeah. surely if you can if you can divine, you know, a, a line of, of people will create one heir. You can you can do it again. But anyways, um, this that was just something that I was thinking about. So, you know, going back to our time streams our episodes where Urza, you know, trades Karn to the Vaishino. Mm -hmm. I remember how upset we all were. I was upset. Oh, totally. I was livid. And, and I was reading this book and I was like, he's doing it again, but it's not, it's not what you think. Um, because Karn was actually sent by Urza to live with clan Capuchin on a secret mission. Mm. And also remember Karn can't remember that. That, that, that he was given away, before. that this has happened before. So, he's good. Aww. He's fine. Yeah. Poor Karn. <laughs> so, Karn was actually sent there by Urza to monitor the Capuchins, as well as holding onto the Legacy artifacts for safekeeping. Safe for the Weatherlight, of course. And Urza must have thought that the artifacts would be safer inside of Karn than anywhere else, because he's got a lot of negative space in there. Urza just jammed them all in there. Except for the Legacy and his his Eye Stones, um, but all the all the rest of the legacy artifacts are in there. And remember, Karn is also a part of the legacy. That's right. right. Yeah. So they're kind of at home inside of him. Aww. Yeah. Not that he can remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Karn. <God. laughs> so Baron still wasn't comfortable with the idea of Urza taking an active role in these people's lives. But there was nothing he could do about it, as usual. Yeah. Urza would do what he thought was best, no matter what Baron said. And these are Barron's thoughts regarding this new step in the project.
1: There's a point, some might say a moment, in scientific experimentation known as the complexity cusp. Whether artifice or magical in nature, this is a dangerous area where the procedure or process reaches a complex stage that it can no longer be controlled by scientific method. We, the progenitors, begin to react to the experiment rather than the reverse. The larger or wider the scope of the experiment, the easier for the cusp to be reached and surpassed without immediate notice.
0: That's right. That's what happens when you play God, everybody. Yeah. And also, and also, our—if we have any scientist listeners—let us know if the complexity cusp is a real thing. Yeah. Like, they might have just made it up for this book. <laughs> <laughs> so, as as much as Urza would attempt to selectively breed future members of Clan Capuchin, and it wasn't just Clan Capuchin, Like there were other you know, families and, and, and groups of, of uh, people, not even just humans, uh, but sentient creatures that he had been manipulating and would continue to manipulate to eventually get a group of people. Cause it was, it was, it was the Metathran. It was a group of, of what, of people that was the best of, of what Dominaria had to offer. And then one singular heir to the legacy that would lead all of them. Um, but, um, you know, Now that, that Urza wasn't dealing with subjects in a lab, the project had grown beyond his control, and the human component of the project would now have to fend for itself. All right. And for the sake of brevity, we're not going to go into all the Capuchins that eventually led to Urza's heir. We'll just say that that part of the project did work, and Urza did get his heir. Spoiler alert. They keep they kept writing books after this. <laughs>
2: they, they kept going.
0: <laughs> so for now, we're going to return to Keld to see the results of Gatha's attempts at preconception.
2: Hmm. All right.
0: After six generations of engineering Trog's bloodline, Gathahead created his most formidable subject in Krieg. Krieg? Krieg. Hey. Krieg. <laughs> I think you might be related to Krieg. <laughs> <laughs> Though Trogue was long dead, his desire to sire the most powerful witch king in Keld had finally become a reality.
1: Desire to sire. That's it's actually a sick band name or something. That is very good. Yeah.
0: I also really like to use that euphemism when I tell people that I'm a father. I'm like, you know, I've, I've sired. sired a child. I've sired a child. There
1: you go. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've sired an heir, if you will. I had the desire. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so Krieg's power was so great. Uh, the Phyrexians had taken notice of Keld's growing strength. And it's at this point, shortly after Krieg's rise to Grand Warlord of Keld, that the Phyrexians began to test Keld and other powerful Dominarian nations with small strike forces. So not a full-on invasion, just a series of tests.
1: Little, Little baby invasions. Yeah,
2: sure.
0: And by this point in the story, Davil had grown wrath to the point where he could overlay parts of the plane onto Dominaria and transport troops oh. for targeted strikes. So that's where these tests are coming from. These targeted strikes are coming from. And it's actually really smart because if your plan is to invade and take control of a plane, like Yogmoth's plan is for Dominaria, and you have this huge impediment, which is Urza, who's turning this plane into a... Whole defense force, then you need to know as much about it as possible so that when you do invade, you know it's it's as it's as guaranteed a victory as you can, can be you know, as you can you get. Can. Yeah. 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 So Davil's first attempts on Keld were rebuffed with little effort by Krieg and his warlords, war hosts. But the main goal with those attacks was to test Kelvin's strength. And with each subsequent attack the Phyrexians learned more about how they would eventually defeat Krieg and His warlords and war hosts. Both mm. of them.
1: Whoa, Dabble in this picture is just gritting his teeth.
0: Well, because he has to like will the flowstone to overland to Dominaria, and then the troops can travel over, and then mm. it and then it
2: retracts. I see. Mm-hmm. So he's got a lot of work to do.
1: He's bearing down he's by bearing the down. looks of it. He's wrinkly
2: <laughs> as hell, too. <laughs>
0: he is. Damn guy, come on. So similar attacks were happening to the ruling families of Benalia, including Clan Capuchin. And it's kind of interesting. We, I didn't mention this when I, I mentioned uh, Benalia, but they have the six ruling families. And every, it's like every year, every couple of years, they switch. Um, you know, you know how, like in a government, you have, you have like the president, the vice president, the treasurer, the secretary. Sp- secretary. That's what they do, but for Benalia. So it's these ruling families. And then like one year... One of them is is like the president. One of them is the vice president. One of them controls the the, the money. One of them controls the, the military. The, yeah, the <laughs> notes no, that, that are t- taking notes. <laughs> yeah, t- take minutes. You the minutes. Yeah, the notes. Uh, so it's it's kind of an interesting uh, way that they w- the way that they set things up, um, and they all get and they all marry into each other's families mm. to keep the families going. It's, it's mean, like royalty.
1: That is that is kind of an interesting way to do it because you know
0: nobody gets too much power,
1: and it's all transparent, right? Mm-hmm. Like if yeah. someone's like bullshitting or fudging the money or something, right? Like the person yeah, who comes in next it. will find out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So kind
0: of yeah, really, it keeps it keeps them honest. Yeah, I yeah. like it. It's, plus they're all banging each other, and that's going to keep you honest. You know. <laughs> So um, the, the Capuchins and the rest of Benalia were less successful at defeating the Phyrexian invaders, meaning that more of their people died in the attacks, but they were able to protect their country for several centuries, while they also became more adept at fighting against Phyrexia. So it's sort of, you know, Phyrexia's is finding out how to, how, to, how to beat these people in battle, but they're also learning how to beat Phyrexians. So. Mm-hmm. A, little, a little bit of both. Um, and like most Yogmoth's plans, they're not great.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. not not a great planner that yawgmoth no. daddy no
0: way no he's not no he just kind of <laughs> like brute forces
1: he's he sleep- does yeah
0: he sleeps too much he's he's going into hibernation for like
1: yeah
0: centuries yeah. and then he comes out and well, he's communicating with his inner circle and they're not doing a good job and
1: that's the thing right like he rules his inner circle with fear and you're not gonna get your best work that way
0: no that's fascism that's yeah it never it never works <laughs> <laughs> Literally, like, in, hi- in history, it never works. People always rise up against fascism. It doesn't work. Yeah. So, the latter portions of the novel are mostly are mostly this. Benalia and Keld fight off attacks by Daval's troops and the continuation of the Capuchin bloodline. So, we're just going to, f- again, brevity, we're going to fast forward to the attack on Keld that Krogh decided he needed to take part in. And Krogh and, and uh, Krieg, Krieg, Krogh, it's a, it's a C and a K, so that's how you, oh. that's how you remember. But <laughs> at th- by this point, Gatha had been sharing his slow time water with Krieg. So Krieg, uh, you know, by oh, this oh. point, Krieg has lived about 150 years, um, and has really whipped Keld into shape. You know, they're they're just like a perfect fighting force. They've been fighting against Phyrexia. They haven't been doing well against Phyrexia, but. Um, All this has been going on for a very long time by this point. Krog knew about Gatha's research and planned to take it for Phyrexia when he defeated Krieg and had broken the spirit of the remaining Keldon witch kings and warlords and war hosts. And uh, he would offer Gatha to Yagmoth as a gift. Uh, At this point in the story, the Phyrexian attacks on Keldon territory had been almost endless and Krieg's forces had slowly been whittled away. Gatha must have intuited that this attack was the final push that the Phyrexians would need to take Keld, so in order to protect his research from falling into Phyrexian hands, he cast a series of spells that, if triggered by Gatha, his labs and all his research would be vaporized. Damn. He had to use magic to safeguard his labs because unlike every other Phyrexian attack against Keld, he would be on the battlefield fighting side by side with Creek and uh again did, we didn't really get into this but in the in the book that these two have a full on romance like they are bbfs nice bffs bffs i guess I it guess. could be
1: bbfs like best buds forever
0: <laughs> yeah but yes they are very like they are thick as thieves and and krieg actually does place you know uh per his great 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 grandfather trog's promise to gatha he did eventually place gatha on the warlord council and Mm. gatha sat on the council and people opposed it and krieg like just murdered them right then and there and he's like no this is my guy
2: yeah what are you gonna say about it i'll kill you
0: (laughs) when the attack came the phyrexian and keldon forces were pretty evenly matched the keldons were actually starting to turn the tide when Krog joined the fray the inner circle member tore through Krieg's remaining Witch Kings until he came face to face with Krieg himself.
1: Is that Krieg?
0: I don't know who that is, but that's like a that's a, that that's like a Keldon. I thought it it might be Krieg. I couldn't. Is mm. actually if you look up Krieg, uh, you can't find a picture of him. Like they never made him into a card. Mm. But that would be a good commander card because with like commander precons, they'll you know they'll give us characters from Magic's past, like like the Thanos or Zantra, um, which is kind of you know that's a fun nod and just give us a fun legendary sure. creature.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was like, like that.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So Krieg was able to grievously wound Krogh but in their uh, um, in their fight, but in the end, he was no match for a fully completed Phyrexian. While Krieg was wounded by the Phyrexian, Krogh advanced on Gatha, intent on taking the mage as a prisoner of Phyrexia. But Gatha instead triggered the spells that then destroyed his labs and threw himself off a nearby cliff. He's,
1: Whoa. he's
0: dead. He killed himself. Killed himself. And that's yep. what I kind of, you know, like Gatha sort of seems like this morally bankrupt character. And he kind of is, mm-hmm. you know, he kind of is. Um, but, you know, in the end, what he was trying to do was protect Good. Dominaria mm-hmm. from Phyrexia, right? Like yeah. he did sort of overall like hold with that particular ideal of the Tulerian Academy and Urza and Baron. And, You know, that that doesn't get rid of all the bad things he did, but it is sort of it's 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 kind of redeeming. redeeming. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I kind of like that. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I'm not going to give you my knowledge or my research. Like, it's just going to die with me. You Mm -hmm. can't have it. So. Krieg, mortally wounded and inspired by Gatha's sacrifice, then threw himself off the same cliff, depriving the Phyrexian of his own genetic material. Wow. I guess they could have just gone down there and grabbed it, but they didn't. That is it's like just, a it's romance. A
1: it's like a Romeo and Romeo. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. It's very, very romantic.
1: <laughs> so with
0: their prize destroyed and with Krogh in no shape to continue the battle, the Phyrexians retreated back to Wrath, leaving Kel to hobble on without any further interference from Phyrexia. So they just wanted to like wow. tamp down a potential threat mm. for for their eventual invasion.
2: Well, that's not what it ended up being because obviously they wanted the trophies of Gaffa and also Krieg, but didn't get that. Didn't get the research. So well, this is useless now.
0: And and Krog, you know, he's um, he's he he essentially failed, and he's mortally wounded, so yeah. he can't go back to. Phyrexia for fear of being killed, because he also hasn't killed Urza, which was also one of his orders. And he's like, don't Yagmoth. wake daddy. <laughs> Stay um... out of the basement. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, the Davil would probably just kill him. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: So that's the end of Gatha and Krieg's story. And uh, yeah, you know. R.I.P. Nobody's yeah. perfect, I guess. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's what it'll say on his uh, <laughs> epitaph.
0: <laughs> so after the battle, Krog was very badly damaged and needed a lot of repairs. And I'm using that that wording because he's essentially a machine. He's fully um, completed. That's right. <laughs> but he couldn't very well go back to Phyrexia to to get those repairs, like I already mentioned. He, um, he basically went back to Wrath with his troops and began a convalescence that would last a couple of centuries. And so now at this point, we'll move on to the third and final time period in this story. And in the book, part three is called Natural Selection. And it takes place between 4014 wow. <laughs> to
2: 4149
0: AR. So in that time, Davil could have killed Krogh and ascended to the position of Evonkar. But he didn't because he's
2: kind of a wimp. I don't like, I
0: don't know. He's oh. just, just go for it, dude.
2: I thought that's what was going to happen. <laughs> Me too. he said he went back. I was like, oh, <laughs>
0: Yeah, me too. He's just like sleeping, just like dousing himself with oil. And he also had to because he was so badly damaged, what he had to do was regrow his organic parts and then have and then like manually swap those out for new metal parts. It's a phyrexian thing. Mm. I don't know exactly Weird. how it works. <laughs> so, so phyrexian. I know.
1: <laughs> so
0: um Anyway, remember when we mentioned that one of Davil's tasks was to improve on the Negator's design in order to hunt down and kill Urza? I remember. Good. Well, I remember. <laughs> Davil had been doing that, unsuccessfully, of course, but the Negators were improving and it was getting harder for Urza to kill them. But he could always kill them just the same up to this point. And um, on one of these attacks on Urza it was quite fortuitous for Urza. um He had been somewhere on Dominaria. I don't know what the hell he was doing, but when he was attacked by two of Davil's negators, Urza killed one of them and chased the other one back to the Wrathy Overlay, the place where the negators had traveled from Wrath to Dominaria. Mm. Oh, shit. Urza crossed over onto Wrath and knew at once what it was. He was no stranger to artificial planes, and he was able to intuit what the flowstone was and what was being done with it. Cool. It's It's like at the end of Usual Suspects, when the cop, like, realizes that Kevin Spacey is is Kai's Sose and he drops the cup and he's, like, looking at everything. Like, that's what Urza's doing. Just yeah, I bet Urza that. dropped his cup. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Urza realized that the invasion was coming sooner than he'd expected. So he planeswalked back to Dominaria and redoubled his efforts for its defense. It's like, dude, just use the overlay. Why are you planeswalking for? I guess it was so he could just... Instant. just immediately jump to telaria but yeah. you know it's like do, 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 do,
1: do. i always <laughs> picture them doing a moonwalk like if they're planes walking it's like a they're going like do, do, do. i always picture them <laughs> just like closing their eyes <laughs> yeah. and like
0: disappearing into like a like a portal of like lightning and fire that's cool yeah but like backwards not like f- flying backwards just like sort of
1: like drifting back into it cool yeah.
0: Or, like the way thanos teleports in uh, avengers endgame or event, Avengers Infinity like a, War
2: because because <laughs> they call it planes walking I was like oh they physically walk through a portal that they like make or whatever
1: <laughs> you're probably right yeah Eric. that's
2: probably closest <laughs> I, I would think
0: so when Urza went back to Talaria and told Baron about what he discovered Baron wasn't altogether surprised uh, Phyrexians had always been resourceful and he didn't think the lengths both Phyrexian and Urza went to in this war were all that different anymore Baron's thoughts at this point in the story
1: Life must endure. Urza said that to me once, and as usual, there's just enough truth in it to suit the planeswalker's purpose. What he failed to recognize is that life will endure, often despite the best or worst intentions of individuals, no matter how powerful.
0: That's right. That's why fascism doesn't work.
1: If you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> 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 that so, is our editorial stance on fashion.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, during Krogh's recovery, Daval continued his work. He kept improving on his negators, manufacturing more flowstone, and he also continued to transport more troops to Dominaria. Actually, this makes me think of uh, Crick. because Crick? <laughs> Yeah. Crick? Uh, because <laughs> Daval, I feel like Crick put up a pretty good fight against Urza, and maybe Daval should have been um, just making a an army of cricks, you know, cause he almost got him. He almost got her. A...
1: Yeah. But crick was like silly. He was like playing with his food a little bit too much. Yeah, just kind of just wrapped just it up. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's, that's what's great about the gators. They just kill. They maybe you so, can't
2: make an army of cricks. No, he probably can't.
0: That's,
1: they probably cr- all fight each other. Cricks
0: one in a million, baby.
1: <laughs> <You're> one <laughs> in a million.
0: <laughs> so, um, Daval was specifically sending more troops to Benalia, because by this point Keld was no longer a, a concern. He had been steadily testing the Benelish people's strength and their tactics in fighting off Phyrexian troops, and much like he did with Keld so many decades earlier. This part of the novel takes us through the generations of Clan Capuchin that continued to both fight against Phyrexian attacks, as well as those that were a part of Urza's bloodline project. And again, for the sake of brevity, we're not going to get into every Capuchin that is showcased in the novel, um, but we will say that Karn was present for all of it. So, you know, when, when during those parts, we are experiencing it through Karn. Not that he can remember any of it anymore. <laughs> so, even though he had only been promised to clan Capuchin for 50 years, he was still with them all of those centuries later. And, you know, if Urza made the deal with the guy that was long dead, Nathan Capuchin, and Carden couldn't remember anything past 20 years, then why would he leave? Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know if Urza thought about that, I don't know, but it's probably just <laughs> like,
1: you know what? He's out of my hair. I got other shit to deal with. Yeah, probably. He's so
0: sad all the time. <laughs>
1: Go <on>. God. <laughs> He's such a needy baby. What do I gotta do?
0: <laughs> so, much like Keld, uh, Benalli's forces had been whittled away over the centuries, Clan Capuchin in particular. By the time that Krog finally woke up from his restorative hibernation, all but one Capuchin had been killed. That Capuchin was the final stage in Urza's Bloodline project and the heir to the legacy, and that was baby Gerard Capuchin. That's probably a name that's familiar to some of you. Gerard.
2: Gerard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Eric knows.
2: Oh, oh great, because I don't.
1: The, Gerard's the
2: weatherlight captain.
0: Yeah, Hero. Gerard, hero of, hero of the weatherlight. Captain yeah. Gerard. Yeah, captain. Excellent. Reporting for duty. <laughs> admiral baby. <laughs> There's this picture of my brother from when he was a baby. And uh, he has like a little sailor suit on. But like it's more like an admiral suit. Like it's a white shirt with those little shoulder things. And the stripes and on no, it. Yeah. yeah, no hat. It's very like distinguished. And so we uh, that's like admiral baby.
1: Yeah, he's admiral baby. <laughs> Instead of just like a baby sailor.
0: Anyways, so Karn also carried with him. More specifically, inside of him, most of the legacy artifacts that Urza had left with him for safekeeping. Does and he know der- what they
2: are? <laughs> Anymore?
0: Um, maybe he has a similar mantra, like the Joyra mantra. Oh, yeah. Picture.
1: He's like, These trinkets inside me are valuable. I shouldn't get rid of them. <laughs> they
0: are my friend. He has I pic- need these trinkets. No, he just has a picture of them. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Altogether. This
1: is my friend, Joyra. These are my important trinkets. <laughs>
0: So during the aforementioned battle, the then current leader of Clan Capuchin had ordered Karn to take baby Gerard away to safety. And that's the last we'll see of them until the next book when we find out about Gerard's early years and the fate of the legacy artifacts.
1: So teenage Gerard.
0: No, he's going to be a man.
1: Man Gerard.
0: Yeah. Baby man. Baby man. Yeah. Okay, good. And uh, this leads us into the final chapter of this episode, which is the first Evan Carr of Wrath. Mm. We finally got here, everybody. So when Krogh woke up, From his convalescence, he found that Davil had all but become the master of wrath. So Krog challenged him in combat, something that Daval was sure to lose. He was wicked old now. So Davil did what any good leader would do. He sent his best negator to fight Krog.
1: Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Physically, they were pretty evenly matched, but Krog had the advantage of experience, and after a short toe-to-toe, he eviscerated the negator, then advanced on Davil. Instead of killing him, Krog did something much worse. Oh hold down his pants no, no i'm kidding i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> as he as he approached davil <laughs> kroeg extended one of his talon-like fingers and when he reached davil he ripped off the skull cap that protected the corsican's exposed bit of well i have written brain here but it's like it's like more like a soft spot there's skin yeah but it's just skin and then brain and kroeg stuck his finger into it his like, extended talent, and he drained Daval of all of his knowledge, Ooh. everything he had learned during his time as Steward of Wrath. And Krogh now possessed the knowledge to breed superior negators, and more importantly, the mastery over flowstone that Daval had harnessed over the centuries. With that, Krogh left Daval to writhe around on the floor, <coughs> and sat on the throne at the center of the stronghold, becoming the first Evankar of Wrath. Damn. And now we have just one more detail before we wrap things up. Uh, Baron Rain finally, after years of banging each other, had a child mm. who would become another member of the Weatherlight's crew. But we'll find out more about their child when we cover the next novel in this series.
1: Ooh, does their child fall in love with baby Gerard? Maybe it's I a girl. Don't know. Oh, that's I not don't okay. Know. I'm I'm tossing I think in my I know prediction. I But I will say. And
2: don't I, might say have Eric. Given, I might have given it away when I said Gerard's no. name because i said the oh, wrong thing but
1: <laughs> i missed it so i missed it too oh shoot i have to edit the episode. So oh I'll no <laughs> look what you made well i didn't have
2: to know the cards so okay yeah. so that, that'll probably be i don't you know have the to cards, know what the card so. is called <laughs> um
1: so was this sort of like the peak of the plot like you know how like a, a story kind of has like a climax was this event kind of it or like was this just more of a novel of like
0: No, this was kind of like the, yeah. That's why it was boring because this is this novel is a. It's sort of like a joining Mm -hmm. of the first three novels in this series.
2: Yeah, like not like I will definitely say like um, the first one was definitely a lot better than this.
0: mm -hmm. And um, so this joins like Urza's story and Urza's initial journey and like Urza's sort of like the dad character that gets everybody prepared for the phyrexian invasion which is like the first day of school and then the next series of books which is the weatherlight saga it's four more books and that's like all these new characters like these two baby characters we just talked about they're going to be adults Mm. in the next book and so it's sort of like the next the next series of books it's like the old making way for the new I you know see. the the new characters, so I think that's why this book was a little like kind of humdrum. There were exciting parts, sure. obviously, like but yeah. um, you know it, it is it, this book kind of like bridges the gap, and I think fours are just hard, right? Sure. Like like a trilogy is is much easier. Like we have the beginning, middle, and end, but fours are a little tougher. And like you know, this is a very like the whole like Urza's story is quite a few books. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot here and, and sort of like this book, how Urza wasn't a very prominent character in this book, especially in the latter part of it, you know, he's going to be even less of a character in the, in the, the preceding books. He's there, but like I said, it's more about these new characters. It's mm-hmm. more about the people that are actually going to, uh, be defend against defense. Yeah. when the invasion does inevitably come. So, um, with that, we're going to we're gonna wrap up this episode. We do hope you enjoyed this uh, this series. Um, it's so funny. I say series, but this is like an ongoing series. And then we do these like <laughs> smaller part series. Um, but uh, people know what we're talking about. Um, I guess we should have done this last week. But, you know, whatever you celebrate at this time of year, we wish you a very happy, you know, have a good time. Mm-hmm. And a happy new year, and um,
1: happy holidays, and be well.
0: And hopefully, you know, by this time next year, we'll be able to go out and play at game stores and and do the things that we love, and and open up the magic cards that we get for Christmas in front of the people that got them the for us. That got them us. for us, and yeah,
1: you know, if you're at the grocery store and you have a tickle in your throat. And you have to cough. You'll actually be able to cough without fear of people you going, jacuse. oh, God. Yeah. 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 That happened to me once. I choked on a piece of gum, and I needed to cough profusely, and I, like, held it in because I thought people would just, like, String, like, you, string you up. Get her. yeah, Chase me with pitchforks. <laughs>
0: All right, everybody. Well, we're going to be back next week with some, some deck tech stuff and uh, – what is this? This is like episode 96. We're very excited about episode 100. Mm-hmm. Ainsley's gonna be on it again. Yeah. And Riley. Yeah, all which is four the first? Of us. Uh, that's the first episode with you and Riley. I don't know if Eric and I are gonna be able to handle it. Yeah. But we're gonna go for me it. Me and Riley are probably gonna
1: fight the whole time. Yeah. We're just gonna fight.
0: No, you guys are just gonna get on like tangents together. Probably. And that. Eric and I are just gonna roll our fucking
2: eyes. <laughs> but we won't be able to see each other rolling our eyes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, all right, everybody. Well, uh, you can find me on Instagram at CommandBeacon. Um, oh I've got to do it again Eric where can where
2: can everybody find us on the uh, you know on the, on the web <laughs>
1: on the winter webs <laughs>
2: <laughs> you could definitely find us uh, on Instagram at One Story in the Podcast uh, if you want to get in touch with us directly One Story in the Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're throwing everything onto the YouTubes so Terminal Story in the Podcast best way to find us and if you like our stuff a lot we have a Patreon check us out over on the Patreon uh, Patreon.com slash turn one soul ring.
0: And Ainsley, where, uh, what's, give us your social media.
1: Uh, yes, so you can uh, find me uh, on Instagram. My handle has changed. Now it's Honored Alternatives. That's right. Uh, honored with a U. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, stay safe out there and um, we will be back next week as usual.
2: Thanks, everybody. Take it easy. Now. And nine were given to the kings of men. Turn one, soul ring.